Good morning. If you want to open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to be looking through verses 1 through 5 this morning. You'll find that in your pew Bibles on page 808. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses, verses 1 through 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed, and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Well, good morning. You probably noticed that I'm not Pastor Joe. I'm Patrick Mathias, and I have the privilege of serving as an elder here at West Cohasset. Pastor Joe's been on vacation this past week, and in his absence, it is my quaking privilege to be here today preaching out of 1 Corinthians 5. I say quaking privilege because it's a heavy responsibility to open God's Word and to preach from it. And so before preaching, I'd like to pray for God's help this morning. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity we now have to open the Bible, to read from it, and to learn from it. Please help all those who hear the words I speak to hear your voice, not mine. Holy Spirit, please be our teacher. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Before we get started, I want to let you know that as difficult as it may be for you to sit in church today and listen to a sermon on sexual immorality, it's just as difficult for me to preach on it. But that's the blessing of preaching through a book of the Bible line by line. What I've always loved about the Bible is that God does not pull any punches. He tells things just as they are. Over the past few years, I've very much enjoyed sitting under Pastor Joe's preaching. As you know, he's a very wise man. And if you think I'm wrong, just think about this. He's on vacation during the Sunday that we begin to preach about sex in the church. He will be back next week to continue the sermon series on this book of the Bible, but this morning he let Bob Lynch preach at the 9 a.m. service, and it's my privilege to be here at the second service. As we start, I'd like you to consider a verse Pastor Joe discussed in great length last Sunday, 1 Corinthians 4.15. In that verse, Paul reminds the people of the church in Corinth that he, Paul, is their spiritual father. The words he's bringing them is for their absolute very best. He loves these people with the love of a father for his children. At the time of this writing, Paul was living in Ephesus, preaching and teaching to the Ephesians. It was common knowledge that in the Corinthian church, a man was living with his father's wife, probably a stepmom. Now, whether it was their emphasis on worldly wisdom resulting in the church problems discussed in the previous weeks, or if it was the conceit of self-satisfaction, which expressed itself in blatant disregard for the basic concepts of Christian morality, 
Though they were in Christ, they were still very much of the flesh and behaving like ordinary men. Corinth itself was a byword for immorality. Yet with all of the debased, licentious habits of the Greeks, there was no relationship commonly known among them to compare with the depravity to which one of the Christians had sunk, is living with his father's wife. This is where our sermon begins. The back of the worship folder, you'll find an outline. Maybe some of you have already uh, opened it up, and you can kind of follow along with the main points of the sermon. And I'm about to hit the first one, which is reputation of the church. So this was a church that God had blessed with many spiritual gifts, but the big problem with this church was pride. They forgot that their gifts were just that, gifts given to them by God, not anything they deserved or anything they had earned for themselves. They weren't mature enough to know how to use their gifts, and they were definitely not giving glory to God for them. Look at me was their mantra. I've arrived, I'm untouchable, I'm unteachable. They weren't even able to teach each other. They were withering on the vine. They didn't have the power to resist sin, nor did they have the discernment to know God's will and be obedient in this matter. They were living in a culture that was filled with sexual immorality and all kinds of hedonism. It was a culture that said, do whatever you want for your own pleasure. They were being bombarded by messages that promoted this ideology from throughout their culture. Inside of the church was the same thing. The same thing was going on with one of its members. It's actually reported there is sexual immorality among you. In this case, the sexual immorality is fornication between the member of the church who is a man and a woman who was his father's wife. Most commentators do not believe that the woman was a member of the church and maybe wasn't even a Christian since none of the discipline Paul later uh, talks about mentions her. But what's even worse Paul later says that no one in the church even thought it was wrong. No one was phased by it. Anyone living in Corinth at this time would have looked at the Christians from this church as no different at all than the rest of the people who lived in the city. And that's bad because we're supposed to be set apart. On the other hand, the rest of the city may have thought this church was different, that they were worse. Second heading, situation in the church, verse 1b. So the situation in the church was that the whole church was proud, though one man in the church was living with and was probably married to a woman who had been his father's wife. This is a case of open, unrepentant sin. This behavior was strictly forbidden by God in the Old Testament. The word here rendered immorality is used in a special sense of incest. Leviticus 18.7-8 says, You shall not have sexual relations with your mother, your father's wife. You shall not have sexual relations with any wife of your father. She belongs to your father. This relationship was such a moral behavior that even the pagans who lived in the city with the Corinthians Christians thought it was wrong at a very deep social level. Both the Greeks and the Romans referred to this as an offense against public morals. Cicero, Roman philosopher and politician, once denounced a Roman lady's passion for her son-in-law as an unbelievable crime. Everyone in the church would have known this was wrong, but no one said a thing about it. It was wrong because the culture said it was wrong, and it was wrong because God forbids it in the Bible. 
But these people did not say a word against it. If you're wondering what all this has to do with us living in the world today and being members of West Cohasset Chapel, consider this. How often have you had to give an answer about sins committed by other professing Christians? We'll cover this in more detail in the last part of our message, the application. Instruction for the church, verses 2 through 5. And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and put out of your membership the man who did this? According to John MacArthur, nothing seemed to break through their bride in posting, boasting. They were so satisfied and self-confident <clears throat> that they excused or rationalized the most wicked behavior within their congregation. Perhaps they looked on the incest as an expression of their Christian liberty, or perhaps they looked on their toleration of it as an expression of Christian love. In any case, their arrogance blinded them to the clear truth of God's standards. MacArthur goes on, Christians are not to tolerate sin within the church any more than they are to tolerate it within their own lives. Ephesians 5.3 says, But do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. And in verse 5.11 of Ephesians, says, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. It's the responsibility of all church members, not simply the pastor or other leaders, to expose sinful practices within the fellowship. Without being self-righteous or prying, we are required to be continually on the lookout for any sort of immorality or sin that threatens the purity of the church. In Matthew 18, 15 through 18, we're taught how to deal with someone in the church who sins against us. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his faults just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, bring one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven." For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. As I read these verses, I'm astounded by the responsibility God gives us. Before we start something like this, we need to be in prayer. We need to be humble, working with the right attitude, wanting the best for the person involved. And we're told that if we do it His way, God will be right there helping us to do it correctly. This passage does teach us something about church discipline and how to handle sin in the church, but it isn't exactly what our passage here in 1 Corinthians is talking about. A little later in our message, we'll discuss Galatians 6, which speaks more directly of open, unrepentant sin in the church and how to deal with it correctly. Now, if the man living in the sin would have been convicted of his sin and he would have repented, the rest of the chapter probably wouldn't have been written. But he did not. If the church would have dealt with it, it would have been finished. But they did not. Because of this, Paul goes on. Verse 3 says, Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. As an apostle, 
Paul had the authority to pass judgment. Though he wasn't there in person with them in the body, he was with them in the name of the Lord Jesus. And as an apostle, had he been present, he would have dealt with this immediately. He goes on in verses 4 and 5. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed, and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. In Greek, these three verses are one long, complicated sentence, and the meaning is almost obscure as the grammar. Apparently, Paul is not recommending that they meet and make a decision. He's recommending that the church meet and carry out the decision that he's already made. He expects them to ratify this decision by expelling the man from the membership of the church. This, in effect, would put him back out into the world where Satan is ruler without the protection of the body of Christ. God allows this sifting of the man for one main purpose, and that is repentance of his sin and reconciliation with God and then with his local church. So much of this we take for granted because we have so much being a member of a local church, which is the bride of Christ. This bride he takes very good care of, and he will continue to do so until he brings us home to live with him. Outside the local church, we lose more than we can even imagine. Some commentators believe Paul thought this excommunication would send the man out into Satan's realm where physical death was a possibility. Others believe there could be physical or emotional torment like what happened to Nebuchadnezzar or Ananias and Sapphira. Nebuchadnezzar, you might remember, was the ruler who defied God and his punishment was losing his kingdom, being turned out into the open fields to graze like a cow until he submitted to God's will. Ananias and Sapphira were husband and wife who sold their property and gave some of the proceeds to the early church. However, they lied to the church leaders telling them they'd given the entire sum they'd received from the sale. God killed them instantly, both being buried on the same day. As you can imagine, fear gripped the people in the early church who witnessed these things, and there were probably some lives changed because of it. We should stand in reverence of a holy God. But it doesn't stop at fear. Romans 2.4 tells us that God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. God loves us and wants, to be close to, wants us to be close to him always. Regardless of what it meant in verse 5 to be handed over to Satan, it was intended for the ultimate good of both the church and the person. Anything that happened to this man outside the church was either allowed by the hand of God or it was specifically directed by the hand of a loving Father in heaven. Application. What does this mean to anyone who is part of this or any other local group of followers of Christ? Let's ask ourselves a few few questions. First, can this happen here? Answer, it can happen anywhere. Question, if it were to happen here, what would we do? Answer, let's check the Word of God. As a group, we're supposed to be on guard against all kinds of sins in our own lives and in the lives of others in the church. Question, how would we handle this? Answer, very, very carefully. Without the Apostle Paul around, we're responsible for each other. Galatians 6, 1-3 says, 
Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. In these verses in Galatians, we're told to remember to come to the person in love, very gently, with a kind heart, in an attitude of meekness, with the desire for repentance and restoration. There's a warning in those verses, and that is that as we help people in their individual sins, we must be careful not to get sucked into the sins they're involved in. And as we do what we're supposed to do, we are helping someone to be free from sin through Christ. It is through Christ's power that someone is set free, not by our power or by our wisdom. I love God's Word because it not only tells us what we should do, it also tells us the rewards we will get when we're obedient. In James 5.19 it says, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from a multitude of save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. In case you're not yet convinced of the necessity of being our brother's keeper, think through this. Most all commentators agree that the most grievous sin in the Corinthian church wasn't the incest of the one man in Corinth. It was the lack of action taken by the membership of the rest of the church. They just stood by and did nothing about it. This is pretty heavy stuff. We know this. Let us encourage one another one last time to do this kind of thing God's way. If we do it His way, He promises to be with us every step of the journey. All of what was covered so far in these five verses has to do with open, unrepentant sin in the church. Sin that is obvious and known to everyone. This is very important, and we need to know how to handle this, but internal sin is much more common. People in our congregation in this room may be struggling with pornography, with sexual sins, with tough things they just can't seem to shake. Well, in our own strength, there are many things, many things that we're unable to do. First, for those who are outside of Christ, those who have not yet received Christ as their Savior, who've not heard and personally responded to the gospel message of Jesus Christ, your struggle is in vain. Outside of the power given by God through Christ, in the person of the Holy Spirit, you have very little chance to win. The world we live in is in many ways just like the one Paul describes in Corinth that we studied in today's text. Let me encourage you. No, let me beg you to choose this day to respond to the call of Christ. Today could be the start of a brand new life for you. The Bible says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Second, for those of us who have responded to the gospel in faith and have received Christ as our Savior and Lord, we have the Spirit of God in us, urging us to turn back to Christ, to repent of our sins. Perhaps you've been contemplating a certain sexual sin, rolling it over in the back of your mind. Or maybe you've been visiting websites and looking at things that you know your eyes should not see. 
All of these are personal. They're private. They're certainly not open and certainly not in front of the whole church. Yet, who are we kidding? God sees everything. He knows everything. And yet, He loves us. And He tenderly calls us back to Himself. Before it's too late, we need to heed His call and we need to repent if, that's, if we need to. And, we need, and then we can experience afresh the beauty of His cleansing forgiveness. Isaiah 1.18b says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. The power of God in us, Christ in us, the indwelling Spirit in us, all these, the gift of God that He provides so we can live as victors in a broken land set apart to Him. Some commentators refer to the book that we're in and its twin, the books of First and Second Californians. And for those of us who live in our more respectful, more moderate Midwest, it's pretty easy for us to raise our eyebrows and nod in agreement about those people who live in that, who live in that hedonistic society. And yet, aren't we all human? Don't we all have the same heart inside? The writer of Psalms asked the question this way, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? Jeremiah the prophet said it like this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? As we're learning in our home group study in the book Before Abraham by John MacArthur, once Adam sinned in the garden, all of us were slaves to sin and death. But praise be to God, through the sin-free life of Christ and because of His sacrificial death, all of mankind can be free of the curse of death and can be born again when we accept the salvation that Jesus provides. To wrap up, this is a broken world we all live in, filled with sin and death. But thanks be to God that in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. The last words you should hear in this matter will not be mine, but they'll be the words that Paul wrote to the Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Thank you for calling us to you when we were not interested. Thank you for providing us with a way to you through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. Help each each of us to be obedient to you and to your word. Help us to help each other, to be our brother's keeper. Help us to be obedient to your word as we love and respect each other. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.